Welcome you to the services of the Boonville Church of Christ. Uh, if you are visiting with us, you're our honored guest. We'd like to have a record of everyone's attendance. I believe there may be an attendance sheet uh, that on each pew. If you would, would you sign, sign that so we can have a record of everybody's attendance? Uh, in your worship bulletin, you can see that Brother Joe Garrett is going to be leading our singing. Uh, Jordan Coates will have the opening prayer. Will Grisham will the, the scripture reading. Brother Ken has the lesson for the morning, and Brandon Elliott will lead us as we observe the Lord's Supper, and then Jerry Barrett will have the announcements and closing prayer. We've been asked to remember some people in our prayers this morning. Uh, Brother Raver Stevens is going to be going through some extensive tests, and we've been asked to remember him. Also, uh, Melinda Hester's mother, Irene Baker, has been diagnosed with inoperable, uh, inoperable cancer, and we need to remember her in our prayers. There are two deaths associated with the, with the congregation. Kim Fowler's grandmother, Luella Green, and... Uh, Anthony Acock's brother, Ricky Acock, died this morning. So would you bow with me in prayer? Our loving Heavenly Father, we know that you're all-powerful. 
We know that you're the great physician and we pray your special care to be with so many in our congregation who are, are suffering, uh, are having tests, are being involved in extensive treatment. We especially this morning pray for Raver Stevens and the outcome of his test and we pray for Melinda Hester's mother, Irene Baker. We pray that your special care would be with her and we ask for comfort for the Luella Green family and for the Ricky Acock family. And Father, use us as your instruments of comfort. We ask now that you bless us as we worship thee. We pray that all we do is pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. morning. First song this morning will be I Love to Tell the Story. You sing it out of your song books, number 659, I believe. <clears throat> Please bow with me. 
Heavenly Father, God, we're so thankful to you uh, for this time that we can come together, that we can put all the worries of the world, the worries of this nation, the worries of the current times, just put those things aside, God, and focus on you and worship you because we know this world's not our home, God. We ask that you would help us to receive the lesson today, open-minded, and help us to take it with us, apply it to our lives when we leave here today, God. I ask that you would be with Brother Ken as he brings this lesson to us. Please help him to present it in a way that is effective and that will be in a way that is memorable so that we can apply it, God. We're mindful of all those who have been mentioned who are sick or who have lost loved ones or for those who just still can't be with us for whatever reason that is, God. We ask that you're, you have your hand on those people and those families. Uh, we pray for healing. We pray, we pray for comfort. We pray for strength, God. Most of all, God, we're thankful to you for your son who died for the remission of our sins. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thy call quickly brings over land and sea, This morning, I will be reading from Psalms, chapter 115, verses 1 through 8. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of the steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths that do not speak, eyes that do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust them. Thank you for that reading. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is great to see you. I hope you've had a wonderful morning so far. And isn't it just a joy and a pleasure to be together, to assemble here, to worship God in spirit and in truth? Amen. Yes. 
And thank you for participating with us. And Joe, we've enjoyed singing with you this morning. And now we've heard the Word of God. We've been praying together. Now is another avenue for our worship. We together as a body are going to be meditating upon the Word of God. And today we are going to find God expressed in the greatest of terms. If you don't remember anything else today, when you leave here, I want you to know that our God, He is alive. We're going to pray about our worship here in a moment. And I'm going to pray that God will help me to share with you just the wonderful things that I've discovered in God's Word. And then I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that all of you will hear that word as I already have, and that it will make the impression on it that it should. I appreciate what Jordan said in his prayer, because that's what we're all about in this moment together. We just want to know what God wants us to know. And I pray that it'll build faithfulness in you and absolute confidence in Him as Almighty God. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for the privilege to be assembled this morning to worship You in spirit and in truth. I pray that already we have joined ourselves together for that express purpose. And now, Lord, please open up our hearts and minds to Your Word. Lord, You are great. You are living and powerful. And I pray, Father, that that will be impressed upon us in great measure today. I thank You for the Word that expresses that truth. So, Lord, help me to, in my limited ability to communicate, to be able to, through it all, express that in the very best way. And I pray for those who receive this word today that their hearts will be filled, that their faith will be strengthened, and that they will trust in you more than ever. Thank you, Lord, for all that you will accomplish in us and through us today as we worship you in meditation upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 115 is a powerful statement about God. It's known as a psalm of communal confidence. Now, communal means everybody together. So the idea is that all of us together have confidence in Almighty God. It isn't just that we recognize Him as great, but we know that He impacts our lives. And all of us together feel that. And alone, we might be a little bit shaky, but together, when we think about our God, we are, we are absolutely empowered. This psalm, scholars think, was written as a community's expression of thankfulness to God for what He had done. Now, here's what He had done. The children of Israel were faithful to God for a long time, but because of the pressures that they felt from the nations around them, and I guess the fact that those nations could point to a structural representation of their gods, Israel had become faint-hearted and started to become idolaters. God tolerated that for a long time, and then He took judgment on them. The greatest expression of that judgment came when they were carried away into Babylonian captivity. They were there for 70 years. And then little by little, a remnant of those people went back to Jerusalem. When they went back to Jerusalem, especially during the time of Ezra, they rebuilt the temple that had been destroyed. And now, as a body of people, as a community, they have come to that temple in order to worship Almighty God. Out of that came this psalm, a tribute 
to Almighty God. A tribute to Him in response to the nations round about them. Those nations at one, hand, at one time had led Israel astray. Now Israel says, no. We're going to trust the true God of heaven. God says something about Himself in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6 that I want us to lead off with today as we're thinking about this psalm. God says of Himself, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Now here's the thing about God. Our God is in both the big things and the small things. God is absolutely great. When I say that, I mean He's Almighty God. When I say that He's small, I mean that this Almighty God, who is so far above us, takes action to relate to us. In Isaiah chapter 44 still, at verses 16 and 17, kind of an interesting thing. Those are just two verses out of a larger discussion that described a situation where a guy goes out in the woods and he cuts down a tree, he trims it up, and then he cuts that tree, the log of it, in half. With half of the tree, he cuts it up into kindling for a fire. And so he builds his fire and he cooks his roast on it, a little bit of bread. It's utilitarian. He moves up toward it, puts his hands out, and he says, Ah, oh, I'm warm. I felt the fire. And then with the other half of that tree that he just built fire with, He'll carve an image into it. Most likely it will have the details of humans, but those details are to represent his God. And so he'll set up this piece of wood that otherwise had, would have been used for kindling, and he bows down before it, and he prays to it, and he says, Deliver me from my enemies, for you are my God the hypocrisy, the irony of it all. That's a God. In our text, he says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throats. Those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. In other words, the person who trusts in a false god of any type is just like the god that they're serving, mindless, incompetent, unable to do anything. It's full of emptiness. A person who trusts in a false god what do they have? They have nothing. Our God, on the other hand, operates both in the grand things and the very small things. I'll give you an example. God had this huge plan about saving people, and He sent His Son to come and to teach us, to show us the Father. But Jesus, reflecting on that entire work of ministry that he had uh, undertaken, in Matthew, he expresses himself this way, in chapter 11, verse 25. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Jesus is thanking the Father, look, you didn't do like the biggest thing you could do, like set me up as a high priest so people would come to me 
and, and try to find God that way. You didn't do it like that. Neither did you set me up in a palace somewhere so that I would be a king and then they would come to me and want to hear my wisdom. You, you didn't do it that way at all. The way you did it was you circumvented all that mess. You sent me to the people of low estate in this world. You showed to, to those who were least capable of putting on a display the very things that you are as God. And so Jesus interacted with like a woman at the well. Jesus was accused as being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus himself, born to a family, finds himself in a feeding trough wrapped in rags. He tells prospective disciples that he has nowhere to lay his head. Thank you, Father. You did it that way. Or when Jesus makes his triumphal entry. Now sometimes, boy, we're like, yeah, you know, there it is. Now he's looking like a king. Matthew chapter 21. Boy, he comes into Jerusalem and all of his followers, they're just treating him like the king that he really is. Wow, great. But the very next thing we find is him going into the temple and again, being rejected except for one group of people. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 15 and 16, it's interesting because as he had been outside on the road, no doubt the parents are crying out to Jesus and the children, they're kind of hearing that. Now we find that the children are inside the temple, most likely just kind of sitting along the wall as Jesus enters the complex, the children are crying out to Jesus, Hosanna to the Son of David! The word Hosanna literally means praise to God, have mercy on us. Isn't that strange, little children? Have mercy? I always thought it was interesting when this is taking place, it says that the chief priests and the scribes, they became indignant. They said to Jesus, do you hear what they're saying to you? And Jesus says, have you not read that out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? I love that. Jesus requires nothing but the perfected save us praise of little children. It's actually quoted out of Psalm 8, and there, a little variation in the English, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Now put those together, right? Here we are in the temple complex where Jesus is being humiliated, so to speak, by those religious leaders, but it doesn't take anything more than the praise of little children, the ordained strength of those little children to lift Jesus up as a glorified Savior. Save us, they cry. I love it. It's just the little things. Through history, God's acted just like that. Have you noticed? When God created this world, it was a great, grand event. God spoke, and it came into existence. But, but then when God created man, the pinnacle of his creation, there is that smallness, that, that ability of God to relate. He's described as walking in the cool of the day with his creation. with an awesome display of the power of Almighty God. He opened up the waters from beneath and the windows of heaven and water engulfed this earth and destroyed it. But a small thing, God's relation with man, 
He preserved Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight souls in an ark, sealed that door, saved their lives while the rest of the earth perished. In a grand display, God having been sickened by sin, sent down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed the sinful cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow! Unbelievable! But in God's relating to man, He escorted Lot and his wife and his daughters outside the city. Oh, it, it was another display of the power of Almighty God that he took a shepherd boy with a sling and a stone and brought down a giant who was nine and a half feet tall. And then as God related himself to that shepherd boy, he eventually raised him up to the status of a king. And in the greatest display of all, God sent His only begotten Son to die for the sins of humanity of all time and raised Him from the grave. Then in His relation to our humanity, He purchased our pardon on that Calvary tree. God is... He's great, and He's small. But our God is very near to us, this great and almighty God. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name give glory, because of Your mercy, because of Your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Our God is in heaven. I've heard that sentiment expressed places in the Scripture before. I ask, can you be more specific about heaven? In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2 and verse 20, Habakkuk says, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. It's like God is so great and so powerful and so awesome that all of creation just, just be quiet and pay attention to this great God. Or another psalm, Psalm 11, beginning at verse 4. It says, the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, His soul hates. Upon the wicked He'll rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. You say, well, you know, I, hey, I get that, Ken. Yeah, God's in His holy temple. He's up there on His throne. But, you know, there are, there are 8 billion people on this planet. How could God care anything about me? How does He know what's going on with it? Uh, you know, I, I have this problem. I have this thing that's bothering me. I prayed to God. He's not even listening to me. He doesn't care. No, that's not true. With the righteous, He says it's kind of like when you're looking at God, as it were, you see His eyelids, it's like His eyes are closed, and you lose heart, don't do that. Because He's just testing the righteous. The fact is that God watches over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers. God knows exactly what's going on with you. He hears what you have to say. He knows the pain in your heart. There was a situation... I guess where we kind of combine those two concepts where, man, I, you know, I, I want to trust God. I, I want to feel God's presence, but 
something has happened. <clears throat> something has happened where, you know, it was going fine for a long time. Now all of a sudden, I, I have uncertainty about the future. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. And so I just want to throw my hands up. You know, I woke up one day and now everything's changed. What, what is going to happen? In, in this case, there was a great powerful leader who had blessed Israel in his reign. And most people thought, you know what, we're going to keep going with this guy and he's going to continue to bless us and God's just going to shower us. We are going to be, we're going to be great. We're going to be fine. Just keep that guy in power. But they wake up one day and he is dead. And now they're like, what are we going to do now? Isaiah learned something important on that day. Isaiah chapter 6. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The whole house was full of smoke. And Isaiah, he said, Woe is me, for I'm undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, at that moment, Isaiah felt sorry for himself and everybody else who had used their mouths to say, well, all hope is gone. Our leader's no longer in position. What's going to happen to us? And God says, whoa! I'm still on the throne here. The most powerful creatures in the universe serving him when they speak, the posts of the doors of that temple where he is begin to shake and the place fills up with smoke. I'm still in control. Isaiah's just, wow. I, I wish sometimes, not that you'll see that vision. You can read it in the text, but I, I wish sometimes in those moments when we feel weakest, we could somehow appropriate what happened right there with Isaiah. Something like this. You know, it was in the year that I found out I had a terminal disease. That I saw the Lord sitting on His throne, high and lifted up. that terminal disease is not greater than the king who's sitting on his throne. Or it was in the year that I lost my job. You know, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. It was in the year that my child died. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne high and lifted up. It was in the year that my parents died. It was in the year of the pandemic. It was in the year that my, my political aspirations went by the wayside. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne, high and lifted up. Lord, sitting on His throne, You say, well, yeah, that's, that's great for Isaiah. You know, he saw that. But Ken, I could mention many more situations where there were people in the Bible who were faithful to God, but it didn't turn out good for them. You know, what about Abel? You know, Abel is murdered by his brother, and Abel was a righteous man. Well, wait, wait, that's, that, absolutely, that is right. He was righteous. And, Cable, and Cain did kill him. 
But you know, even though he physically died, even today, even in this far-off time, so far removed from those events, even now, he speaks. He speaks of the righteousness of God. What about Enoch? Enoch? Enoch was a guy who lived 365 years, one year for every day of a life of a year for us. And, you know, Ken, I, when I read about Enoch, I, I, I see that he actually lived only, only a short time before the flood came. That means that he was a righteous man living in the midst of a bunch of unrighteous people. What about him? You know, he is constantly just being mistreated by ungodly... That's true. But, you know, one day, God translated him so that he did not see death. He wasn't. Then he, he was not. Or what about Abraham? You know, Abraham, he was doing fine. He had lots of land and lots of money and he, just a wealthy, wealthy individual. God caused him to leave all of that. Yeah, he did. And he didn't even, have, didn't even know where he was going. That's right. But here's the thing about Abraham. Abraham left all of that trusting that God was building for him a home that has foundations. Whose builder and maker is God? His faith was realized in not his lifetime, but in many generations subsequent. Or, you know, what about Moses? You would say, well, now Moses is kind of a, a tragic story, you know, because he's born, but then he's immediately taken into the family of Pharaoh. And, you know, must have had all kinds of, all kinds of influence by those Egyptians. That, that's true, but he was also raised by God's providence in, in the home of his own mother. And when he became 40 years of age and thought he should be able to lead the children of Israel, he was exiled. It was at the age of 80, an age when people are thinking about retiring and setting back and let the younger people do it, that God called him into service and God used him, despite all of those negative events in his past life, used him to deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 32, it says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in uh, mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Therefore, seeing we also are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Biblical character after character after character after character failed to see the end of their own purpose. What do you mean by that, Ken? Well, I mean that God's plan was carried through and men were saved by Jesus Christ. However, in order to get to Jesus, generation after generation after generation of people had to do their part. Some of those people lived horrific lives. They were abused in every sort of way. Listed in this text are 
the end results. You know, some are tortured, some are slain, cut with a sword, they're thrown in dungeons. These people suffered a lot. But what did they do? Give up? No, oh well, tides turned, I'm just going to quit. No, they did not quit because there is a bigger work of God at play. And because of that, because of their faithfulness, they maintained all the way to the end so that they could bring us to Jesus. But now look at Jesus. Was it all, was it all just butterflies and rainbows for Jesus? No. Jesus died on the cross, suffering unspeakable agonies for every sin that's ever been committed. And he died on that cross, but what kept him going? What kept him on that cross? What kept him from calling 12 legions of angels to set the record straight? It was his love for humanity and his faithfulness to God. He persevered through that. He died. He was resurrected triumphant over the grave to make possible our salvation. He kept his mind, his eye on the prize. And the point of that is, then, so should we. What about us? Are we going to do the same thing? Yes. Here's what God says about himself. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. I don't really care what anybody has to say if it's directed against my God. Because my God is alive. And I will bless His name from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Are you a child of God? Are you with Him? If you're a child of God today, and I don't know, you've been wavering, your faithfulness is not what it should be. You've just some, for what reason, every, every reason you have, you can't envision you know, God's greatness on His throne. Somehow you just throw your hands up. Please. We need to repent of that. Let's, let's do that publicly. If you can do it privately, pray to God. He'll, he'll help you catch that vision again. If it's caused a stumbling block that's affecting congregation here, then I beg you to make it right today. If you're not a child of God, obey the gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith before this number. You be buried in water, have your sins washed away, rise in newness of life. It'll be a great triumph. We will all rejoice in that. But don't ever forget our God. He is alive. Is anyone who needs to respond, now's your opportunity to do it. Why don't you come if you need to while we stand together and sing. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come.
to song, sing a song at this time to help prepare time for the Lord's Supper. Do not have the emblems of the Lord's Supper. Would you hold your hand up? Someone will bring it to you. This time in our worship, we stop to remember the death of Jesus upon the cross and what it means to us as Christians. Let us bow. Our Father, we are so thankful for your willingness to send your Son Jesus to this earth to die for the remission of our sins. As we partake of this, the loaf, we pray that we will remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. us again bow. Our Father, we, we realize that without the shedding of innocent blood, we would never have the remission from our sins. <clears throat> we pray that as we partake of this, the fruit of the vine, that we re will remember the shedding of innocent blood upon the cross for our sakes. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Another part of our worship that we're commanded on each Sunday is to give of our means. There are places all through the auditorium that you can leave your contributions. morning. There's uh, 170 of us here today. 
I'm not sure what we had at the outside or the morning service. I'm sorry. But uh, just a couple announcements. Uh, next uh, Sunday, there'll be a, these are in the bulletin, an elders and deacons, deacons meeting at 2 o'clock in the annex. Uh, this week, the food pantry item is canned tuna. Uh, also, the food pantry and clothes closet will be open on the 12th and the 19th. And remember that this is Lads to Leaders kickoff tonight at 5 in the annex. Um, and I believe that is all. So if you would, please, uh, let's have a closing prayer. And uh, after that, just leave kind of uh, in an orderly fashion. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, this beautiful morning that you've given us, we're all so grateful. Every day, every hour, and every minute, may we not take it for granted. They are truly a gift from thee. We are amazed with all of your creation. May we always conduct ourselves in a way that is pleasing to thee. May we never let anxiety, discouragement, or anything such as this control how we live our lives. But because of thee and your son bringing the message of hope and love and eternity, we must always remember these things to overcome those things. May we endure and may we spread thy word for your son gave everything to us and we're so grateful. And in your son's holy name we pray, amen.